Lord, I'm so grateful that we get to be here together and that we get to not only confess to one another, but share what you're doing in our hearts and also just sit still before you, Lord. For some of us, that's the first time we sat still in our whole lives. The noise in our brain is just nonstop. So thank you for the, these few minutes of silence. I pray that you help to extend it throughout our days, that it's not just here where we're silent, but we in fact uh, create a lifestyle of waiting upon you and sitting in silence before you, waiting on you. For it's they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Remind us of this. And Lord, right now, for those of us here who are struggling with guilt or shame, those of us who are struggling with fear and anxiety, those of us who are worrying about our relationships or lack thereof, Lord, I pray that you would meet us right now, right where we're at, and that you would make Jesus the greatest longing, the greatest joy, the greatest desire of our hearts, and that we would live for Jesus. For we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome to the Recovery House of Worship. I am, my name is Edwin Cologne. I'm the senior pastor here, and I am grateful for you to be here and grateful for us to be together. Today, we're going to get into some deep waters, and I want you to put on your thinking caps because we're going to have to think our way through what the scriptures are going to speak to us. Before I get to the scriptures, I want to tell you a story. I was um, young, 17 years old. And at 17 years old, I decided that I wanted to get healthy. So what I did was that I would go um, to the track. Uh, we had a park next to our house. It was about a mile away. It was uh, three quarters of a mile away or so. It was called McCarran Park. McCarran. We used to call it Macarian. But now we, we grew up and learned that it's McCarran. And so it's not McCarran, it's Makarian for sure. So in Makarian Park, we would go, uh, I would go and there was a track there and I would run around the track. And I did that day one, day two, day three, week one, week two, week three. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't getting any healthier. I mean, I just kept on running, I, and it was like just as hard. Like day 13 was just as hard as day one, and you would think that after day, you know, like that, you know, there would be some sort of growth here and that you would get better. And what I decided to do is at the end of that like 13th or 14th day running, I did what I always did after a run. I took a cigarette out of my ear, and I lit it up and started to smoke and think, why on earth can't I get better at running? <laughs> I guess running's just not for me. <sighs> Why are you laughing? You're laughing because there was an obvious thing that was sabotaging my ability to run and be free to run. Here's a question for you. Do you think that's the only sabotaging I've ever done in my own life? I want to be close to Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to surrender to Jesus. I want to know Jesus. 
but I sabotage myself. Here's another question for you. You think I'm the only sabotager in this room? Maybe, maybe the person sitting in your seat. Maybe you want things for your life and you get angry at God for not giving you these things in your life while you smoke your cigarette on the track of your life. It's only funny when we think of me, right? But when we think of you, it loses its humor, doesn't it? We sabotage ourselves. We harm ourselves. We have goals of pursuing and loving and surrendering and honoring and worshiping Jesus. And then we go off. We take a wrong turn. We do things that prevent us from doing the very thing that it's in our heart to do. Now, i got a further question for you. Since we do this in our singleness, oh, God, give me a godly uh, spouse. Give me a godly spouse. And then we find our potential spouses in unhealthy environments. Oh, God, make my spouse that you just gave me godly. And then we continue to harm them in ways that distract them from seeking after Christ. Don't you see? We are saboteurs. But here's the thing. God knows. And by the way, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I am so grateful that you're here. I am so delighted that you decided to worship with us. We are a community of believers, as you've already heard, that are very broken and need Jesus more than anyone else. Now, if you don't know Jesus, what you're going to find out is very helpful for you. But I want you to know that the, the consummation of the knowledge that you're going to get today, of the help that you're going to get from sabotaging yourself to not sabotaging yourself, is ultimately found in Christ. I pray that you stay with us long enough to get that message. Now, this message is in two parts. This is part one, but it closes or it, it, it finds its finish in part two next week. If you don't show up next week, you're going to miss the point. You're only going to get half the message. I encourage you, show up next week. Even if you have to do laundry on Sunday, even if you have to go shopping, even if you have to get the compra, the groceries, don't do it. Just come. I want you to come. And not only that, invite uh, your friends, uh, your family members. Come on in. Now, here's the thing. God knows that every one of us are self-saboteurs. God knows that every one of us, we have hopes and dreams that we are going to make it and we're going to do great things and we're going to have a clear thinking and we're going to have a, a, a steady mind and then we sabotage ourselves and we wonder what went wrong and we blame God for it. God knows that we are going to do this. And so God, in his wisdom, instructs us in his word how to stop sabotaging ourselves. Now, this is so important because, listen to me, your happiness is on the line. If you don't stop sabotaging yourself, you're literally going to undermine your own happiness. 
You know what else is on the line? Your marriage is on the line. If you don't continue to, if you don't stop uh, uh, continuing to self-sabotage, you're going to destroy your marriage. Hey, listen, come here, come here. Your freedom is on the line. If you continue to self-sabotage, that is literally going to put you in a position to lose your freedom. Every one of us needs this message. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Like, no matter what you think of me, no matter what you think of the sweater, no matter what you think of the new mustache, pretty cool, right? My wife hates it. So I might have to get rid of it. But listen to me. No matter what you think of me, what I want you to do is I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to what the scriptures say about you sabotaging. Now, in order to get deep, and like I said, we're going to have to put on our thinking caps. In order to get to the deep nature of our sabotaging ourselves, we're going to have to get into the subject matter that none of us have talked about this week. It's not something popular. It's not something you think about. It's not something that you go, oh yeah, and you start talking about with your friends. This is something totally off the grid for us. For some of us, we don't even have a compartment in our brain to speak about this, but we're going to have to talk about an ancient, uh, uh, an ancient issue that God knew was the most important issue for people to address in their lives. And when I say it, you're going to go, oh, well, this, is not, this has nothing to do with me. But if we're going to address our sabotaging, our self-sabotaging, we're going to have to address this issue. Are you ready for what it is? Are you ready? Here it is. Idolatry. Idolatry. What? What on earth is idolatry? When we think of idolatry or worshiping idols... What we many times will think about when we talk about worshiping idols or idolatry, what we'll think about is some tribe in some unknown part of the world that bows down to uh, a cabbage or, or, or a statue or, or, right, whatever it is you think about when you think of idolatry. But what if I told you that idolatry is the number one problem that is destroying your life? That idolatry is the thing that Satan uses to undermine your joy, your freedom. Undermine your ability to stay sober or clean. Undermine your ability to stay at peace and unfretful. It, idolatry is the thing. Idolatry is the thing. So, I want you to, I want to ask, uh, I want you to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself, what idols am I worshiping and what am I willing to sacrifice to get them? What idols am I worshiping and what am I willing to sacrifice to get them? Now, we're going to move very fast. All right, are you with me? Okay, we're going to move very fast, but I want you to move with me. Okay, so let's find a definition. What's a, def uh, a definition, a simple definition that I came up with for idolatry is trusting in things that aren't able to save. That's what idolatry is. Is to trust in something that's not Jesus 
and isn't able to save. Now, what could that mean? You go home. It's a tough day at work. You feel a great deal of stress. You get to your fridge. You open up and you say, I need to find me a savior from all of this stress. And so what do you do? You reach for the Haagen-Dazs. Because Haagen-Dazs is a better savior in that moment than Jesus. Haagen-Dazs will res result in more peace than Jesus could ever give. You see that? Okay. Same day. Same person. You go home. You open the same refrigerator. And you've had such a stressful day. You open it up and you reach in. And this time you reach for what? A beer. Why? Why? Because a beer is better at saving you from all of your tension and fretfulness than Jesus is. What is idolatry? Idolatry is trusting in things that aren't able to save. Jesus is able to save. Or to put it another way, idolatry is what we turn to when we don't turn to God. Idolatry is what we turn to when we don't turn to God. Okay, now we're going to be talking about what kind of examples of idols. I'm going to give like, like uh, uh, you know, little private idols. In other words, like, you know, like uh, think of the army. You have privates and then you have lieutenants and you have generals and you have like, right, right, right. So, um, so like the little private idols, things like haagen even beer, those are the privates. But then we have to talk about the generals, the guys who are calling the shots on the idols in your life. Are you with me? We're talking about not, no longer being a people who sabotage our walk with Christ. Now, so we know that I, taking the definition that I, I, idolatry is entrusting in things that aren't able to save or put another way, same definition but just said another way, is what we turn to when we don't turn to Jesus. Okay, now, now that we have that set in our minds, okay, I want you to hear the scripture that Joshua says, but I got to, I got to give you some, I got to give you some uh, context in how Joshua is speaking. So there's a book in the Bible. It's called the book of Joshua. The reason it's called the book of Joshua is because the author of the book is named, guess? Joshua. Joshua. Right. Awesome. You guys are following with me. Okay, great. So now watch this. So Joshua writes this book. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Bible, right? Joshua writes this book. Joshua is following Moses. This is super interesting. Very cool Bible trivia you're going to get right now. So Moses is uh, the man that God has chosen to free his people, Israel. Okay, anybody here ever not heard of Moses? Okay, so we all kind of have an idea. Maybe you saw the movie. Maybe you heard about him when you were a kid. But okay, Moses is the guy that God chooses to free his people. He's the vehicle that God's going to use. Moses then uh, leads the people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. He leads them out of their idolatry, their bondage. He leads them out and he gets them uh, 
to, as far as he can go. He gets him to the desert, so, and, and God leads him on like a 40-year repentance uh, uh, piece where they're um, turning, uh, turning away, learning to turn away from their sins and turn towards God. Now, Moses is going to die, and Moses taps on the shoulder. Actually, God does. Taps on the shoulder this guy named Joshua. Joshua is going to follow, he's going to follow Moses in leadership. Follows Moses and, and the people follow him. Joshua sees many great miracles. Let me give you two just, to be, just as an example. Joshua also goes to a body of water, slaps the body of water, and the waters part this way and that, and the people walk across on dry land. Joshua actually does that. Another miracle that God does for Joshua is not only does he send him an angel, but he tells him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to a town, the most fortified city, right next door, and I want you to walk around a few times, and after you do that, I, here's how you're going to defeat him. Remember, Joshua is like a general. He's like an army. He's like a man of war. And God goes, here's what I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to walk around seven times, and here's how you're going to defeat them. Walk around seven times, and then I want you to yell really loud. <laughs> Could you imagine having your AK-47 ready to attack the, the, the enemy? And God goes, yeah, 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 leave those weapons behind. I want you to give a, a good hallelujah. <laughs> Could you imagine? God not only gives them that direction, literally, the walls of Jericho come crashing down and God gives them an enormous victory. Miracle after miracle, God is leading Joshua. Joshua now is an old man and he's about to die. Now think about this because this is really important. Joshua has millions of people to speak to and he's about to die and he has one message for them. What would that message be? You, you, know, you know when like uh, you've heard that people go to their deathbed and then they like, you know, what were their last words? We all want to hear what people's last words are. This is Joshua's last words. In Joshua 24, what Joshua does is he does like a covenant renewal ceremony. A covenant renewal ceremony is very similar um, to uh, a wedding renewal ceremony. I remember um, uh, Gus and uh, Pastor Gus and his wife Liz, they renewed their vows. And I think the 25th year was it? 20th year, right, wasn't sure you're going to make it to the 25? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, all right, so no, it was the 20th year. That was a bad joke, that was a terrible joke. Okay, so, um, so they did it at the 20th, uh, the, the 20th year of their, and what they did is that they, they renewed, they, they affirmed, they said, not only did I say this 20 years ago, I'm renewing it again. It was very meaningful, very beautiful. It was like a very beautiful moment. Uh, watching them take those renewal vows. Well, this is very similar to what Joshua is doing. He has a, renewal co a covenant renewal ceremony to remind him that you guys, listen, people, God's people, people of Israel, you guys belong to God. You don't belong to the things of this world. I think this is really important that we need to like have a covenant renewal ceremony like moment by moment, day by day. You want to wonder why you relapse? 
Have some more covenant renewal ceremonies. Remind yourself that you belong to God. We're paid by Jesus a high price for your souls. That you And Joshua, Joshua wants to remind them their position with God. He wants to remind them. And so he goes through this whole thing. And then the final thing, or one of the final things that he says is, listen to me. It's one of the most important sentences in all the Bible. What we're going to hear right now is one of the most important sentences in all the Bible. What we're going to focus on right now is the very point of the book of Joshua. And I would, I would argue it's the very point of all the scriptures. Joshua has a few moments with his people. And before he dies, he wants to give them one final piece of instruction. And here is what he says. Joshua chapter 24, verses 23. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. Pause. I got so many things that I want to tell you. I got, and I'm telling you, during chapter 24, Joshua reminds them of what God has done, not only in their lives, but way back in the past, what he's done with Abraham and Moses and how God drew them to himself and how God freed them from the Egyptians and how God gave them all this territory and land, how God did it all. And then in the end, to sum it all up, he says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that happen here. Number one, the people never argue at all. Joshua, this is so important. Joshua says it twice. Not only does he say it here in verse 23, but he also says it just nine verses before in Joshua 24, verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped on the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. In other words, this is a message that Joshua is giving back over and over and over again. Guys, don't forget this. Throw away and yield. Throw away and yield. Get rid of, hold on to. Get rid of, hold on to. This is really, really important. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. This week, we're going to, this is so important that this week we're going to take half of the command. We're going to take half of the command and next week we're going to take the other half of the command. And also, you should have received as you walked in uh, sort of our preparation for communion. Did you receive that? Okay, great. And so um, we're going to be uh, uh, partaking in communion today and then, of course, eating a wonderful meal afterwards. What is our wonderful meal today? Um, meatloaf. Meatloaf? Rice, corn, and gravy. Meatloaf, rice, corn, and gravy. Wow. I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. And bread. And bread. It's amazing. I'm so grateful that you're here. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna share some uh, food together, and I'm grateful for that. But listen to me. Listen to me. This is a big deal. Remember how we started this. 
because it's easy to get lost in the technical language. There are things that you sabotage your life with. We're calling those things idols. And Joshua is telling us one of the most important things we'll ever hear in our lives if those two things are true. If, in fact, you are a self-sabotager or self-saboteur, and that the self-sabotaging that you do is motivated by the idols that you worship, then what Joshua is saying is the most important thing you ever need to hear. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Two things happen when the people hear this. Number one, they don't say, what foreign gods? We don't have any foreign gods because they recognized easily that they had foreign gods. The problem is you don't see your foreign gods so easily. See, your foreign gods are hidden from you. So I'm going to give you four major foreign gods that you hold in your heart. These are the four root idols of your heart. If you've been here for a while, you've heard us talk about this before. Why? Because this is something we got to get into our brains. It's got to get something that we get into our hearts. It's got to get something that we got to get into our lives. This is so important to turn from idolatry and turn to Christ. This is huge. So I want you to see. Now then, said Joshua, throw away your foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. By the way, this is not isolated. Like I said, Joshua 24, 14 says the same thing. Um, now fear the Lord and serve the, him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Actually, beyond that, there was uh, Solomon, the king, the wisest man that ever lived, was ensnared by idols. So it doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter how smart you think you are, Solomon himself was ensnared by idols. He sabotaged himself, and idols were behind it all. Although he might have just said he just had a healthy sexual appetite. And it wasn't a healthy sexual appetite. It was an idol that was ruining his life. You'll see this in 1 Kings chapter 11. In 1 Kings chapter 11, it gives a statement about Solomon, about his healthy sexual appetite that he didn't understand was rooted in idolatry. As Solomon, uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, says this, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David, his father, had been. Do you see that? Do you see that? The wisest man that ever lived was turned away from God. And God, if you read Solomon's story, you find out that God met with Solomon in dreams and spoke to him, and that God used him mightily for his purposes and for, his for the glory of God. God used Solomon mightily, and at the end, Solomon is an idolater. He's being distracted. He's sabotaging himself and his own kingdom. Paul speaks to the Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians 1.9, he says about this issue of idolatry. For they themselves report what kinds of reception you gave them and you gave us. In other words, uh, missionaries had gone out to the Thessalonians and the Thessalonians had received them well. He said, they tell how you turned to God 
from idols to serve the living and true God. Beloved, many of our issues are because we have not turned from our idols and are trying to turn to God while keeping or holding on to our idols. Okay, now, if you have this in your mind, again, I said we're going to, we're going to put our thinking caps on. We're going to look at the four root idols of the heart. Now, here's the thing. I want you to pay attention. These idols can work smoking crack, or these idols can be at work while you're buying your wife flowers. It's not... See, when we think of sin and we think of sabotaging ourselves, we think of the sin of our hands. Don't smoke don't drink, don't, you know, sleep around, don't, uh, 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 you know, be greedy, don't, 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 uh, don't lie, don't cheat, right? We think of these sins that we do with our hands. Listen to me, it's deeper than that. The sins that we commit, remember what God says? God says, man, he says this to Samuel. While Samuel is looking for a king, he goes, Samuel sees a, a, a man, uh, it was actually uh, David's brother, his oldest brother, and he sees him and he's so ruddy and handsome and tall and strong looking. And, and Samuel goes, well, surely that's the king. And God literally rebukes Samuel and says, no, 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 that is not the one that I've chosen as king. Man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. There are heart issues in my life that even while I preach here, which we would all say this is a good thing, explaining God's word, full of sin and full of art. Will you like me? Am I saying things that will make you approve of me? These are idols that are hidden in my heart. I'm not looking for the approval of Jesus. I'm not looking for the approval of God. I'm looking for the approval of my hearers. This is a wickedness, and I'm preaching. Don't you see? The sins that Joshua is talking about is not just the sins of our hands. He's talking about the idols of our heart. Because you know what idols do? If it's true that idols... Num, uh, if it's true that idols are the things that we go to when we don't go to God, here's the big idea for today. Idols are the idols numb us to our desperate need for Jesus. That's why they're so damnable. Idols are so damnable because they numb us to our desperate need for Jesus. Who needs Jesus? I got Hagendas. I got all this pressure, I got all this stress, I got all this anxiety, I got all this fear. I run to Haagen-Dazs. Who needs Jesus? And by eating the Haagen-Dazs, I don't need Jesus that much. Who needs Jesus? I got, I got a 40. Who needs Jesus? Listen to me, listen to me. Who needs Jesus? I got a lover. Who needs Jesus? I got a video screen. See, don't you see? Even, even those things that we just mentioned, which would fall into the sin category, we would say, oh, those are sins, clearly. But what about those things that you run to rather than Jesus that are not fall into the sin category? 
Like mothers who so consume their lives with their children, they can't be happy unless their children are happy. Or lovers who so, they, they, it can only be called worship. Oh, I have, this is my lover. I love you. I will get into debt in order to make you happy. Because I, I don't live for the smile of Christ. I live for your smile. Don't you see? It's anything that you run to when you don't run to Jesus. Okay. So what are the four idols of the heart? These are the four main idols of the heart. And i got to go fast, so stick with me. Significance. This is the first main idol of the heart that we're going to look in. I would, I would recommend that you would take the notes or take a picture of it just to remind yourself. I literally will have all four idols in one screen in just a few minutes. But I, I need you to just kind of remember this. These are, these are literally what come up on my phone every day. And I, and I don't look at it every day. I should. But um, they come up on my phone every day so that I could look at them and reflect and meditate um, on what idols I'm running to rather than Jesus. I want to kill the idols in our hearts. Because remember, the first thing that Joshua says is throw away the idols. Before you yield your hearts to God, you got to throw away your idols. Here we go. First main idol of the heart is significance. A longing for influence or recognition. Beloved, you have all, we have all struggled with this. If, if, you ever, if you ever heard someone like talk about, like let, let me talk to you guys who are in ministry. If you ever heard somebody talk about your ministry and not mention you, and you got so angry that you left the ministry or left the church altogether, then you struggle with this idol of significance. Like God forbid, right? God forbid, let's say Ron helped out with, you know, Ron is here. And let's say he helped cooking the food that we're about to eat today. And I just said, oh, I just want to thank. And I'm not going to th put any names because then you really, your idol will come out because uh, I'll forget somebody. But I'll go, oh, I just want to thank so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. But I don't mention Ron or I don't mention your name. Now, that angst that you feel, that anger that you feel rise up, that resentment that you feel rise up, is this idol surfacing in your heart. Significance. In fact, listen, let's, not only is it sin, but watch this. Some of us do good things, like we're providing for our families, working very hard. But the fact is, we tell our families, oh, we do this all for you. No, we don't. We do it because we're trying to make a name for ourselves. We're trying to make a name for ourselves. If you are in the arts, you struggle with this mightily. If you, if you are in any creative endeavor, you struggle, with, you struggle with this mightily. Significant. I just want my name out there. I want my name to ring, uh, be in lights. Significance. That's the first idol. And there are so many sins. Like, some of us are in shape. Being healthy. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Let me ask you that. It's a good thing. Absolutely. Being healthy is a great thing. But the reason that we want to be healthy is because we want that picture-perfect body. We want to be heralded and celebrated. Listen, it's when we want our recognition. 
when we want, you know, why do you want to be in leadership in the church? Because I want influence. You never tell that to yourself. You never even say that out loud. Even when I say that, you go, that's not me. But the fact is, is that if others don't acknowledge your influence, you get resentful or upset or angry. Beloved, it's the, it's the idol of significance. Throw it out, Joshua says. Throw it out. Another uh, idol that we struggle with, not just significance, but also control. Control. Control is a longing to have everything go according to my plan rather than trusting Jesus' plan. Control is a longing to have everything go according to my plan rather than Jesus' plan. You know why you explode? Like explode on the highway. Somebody cuts you off or something like that. It's control. You know why your family has a tough time being around you? It's because control. No, you go, no, 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 I'm just trying to help them. I'm just trying to direct them. They're going in the wrong way. No, 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 beloved. It's control. There's something other than Jesus that you trust their lives to. It's control. You know better than Jesus. Jesus, I'll, I'll be happy to worship you so long as you do what I say. Control. And how many of us have left worshiping Jesus because he just didn't give us what we wanted? He didn't fix the marriage. He didn't, he didn't make me sober. He didn't keep my clean time. He didn't, he didn't give me what I wanted. And so I left Jesus. What good is Jesus if he's not going to do what I say? It's control. Got it? So what is the first idol? The first idol was? Come on, actually, like you, you know what you're saying. The first idol is? Significance. The second idol is? The third idol is comfort. A longing for pleasure outside of Christ. A longing for pleasure Outside of Christ. This is the one. I mean, I, I mean you could do any sin, but like you, the reason, the reason that you, um, you go, yes, dear, no, dear, is not because you're being a good husband or you're trying to uh, understand your wife. The reason that you say that is because you just want peace in the house. You will sacrifice true intimacy with your wife rather than confronting our, her on some hard issues. I'm not talking about conf confrontation in, a, in an evil or demonic way. I'm talking about like, no, honey, this is not good for you. This is not good for our family. This is not good. Rather than addressing that, just, oh, I just want to keep the peace. I just want peace. I know, I know, because Jesus can't give you peace in a storm. Only, only if you run to comfort. Just do what comfort says. That God will be better than Jesus. Comfort. Approval. And we, we have to be done. Approval. A longing to be accepted or desired. A longing to be accepted or desired. Okay. So what happens, right? So I'm a young girl, and I see a guy, and he's the love of my life. 
I know that it's wrong to sleep with somebody um, before you're married, but I will be happy to compromise my morals if he just tells me that he loves me and he'll stay with me. If I don't sleep with him, well, then maybe he might go to someone else. And of course you're going to do that because Jesus isn't enough for you. This guy is. He's the savior of your loneliness. He's the one who makes you feel beautiful. Who saves you from your ugliness? Not Jesus. This guy makes you feel beautiful. He saves you from your ugliness. Don't you see? They're idols that consume. And that's why Joshua says, throw them away. Throw them away. Okay. So now, here's the deal. What I want you to do is, for the rest of this week, so, okay, so... That's the message. I want, you to, I want you to start throwing away your idols. Now, here's what I want you to do. This week, what I want you to do is start practicing the idea. If you could just see your idols, that's half the battle. I promise you, if you could just see your idols, that's half the battle. So what I want you to do is every day throughout this week, I want you to pause at a particular time. I don't care what time it is, but it's a time that you're going to use as your quiet time. You know how like we were just two minutes in silence here? I want you to do two minutes. And... Would you dare even going to five minutes or dare even having 15 minutes of silence? And what I want you to do is I want you to look at this and I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to say, God, what are the idols that I'm running to rather than you? And then, and it'll be, the, if, it, if you're anything like me, it'll happen like this. Edwin, when you were preaching, you weren't preaching for my glory. You're preaching for your glory. That joke you said wasn't for my glory. That joke was for your glory. Or, or uh, Edwin, when you uh, lied to that person by telling them, oh, yeah, no, it was no big deal. You were just worshiping comfort. That's why you lied to them and said it was no big deal when you know in your heart you're still bitter about it. Or, Edwin... When you went up to that person and you used your authority in their lives, it wasn't for their good. It was so that you could be in control. Or, or Edwin, when you said to that ministry, uh, make sure that you do this, that wasn't for my glory. That was so that your name could be up in lights. Don't you see? Even in the good, nice Wonderful things. You know that you could literally stay clean for the glory of yourself, for the glory of an idol. Now, don't nobody here go out and use. Don't nobody here go out and use. What I'm trying to say is that if that's where you are, you're in the infant stage, I need us to grow up and start identifying our idols. Does this make sense? Okay, great. So now, that's what I want you to do. For those of you who are convinced, yes, this is an issue of my heart. I need to throw out some idols. I want you to reflect on this, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the instances in your day where idolatry came up. And don't, listen to me, don't let it lead you to despair. Let it lead you to Jesus. Don't let it lead you, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible. No, don't let it lead you to despair, but rather let it lead you to go, oh my gosh, Jesus, I can't believe your forgiveness is so profound that you forgive even my idolatrous, adulterous ways against you. So that's number one. Okay, so if that's you, 
Great. Now, but what if you're sitting here and you're like, oh man, I used to struggle with idols. I don't struggle with that stuff no more. Oh, I've never struggled with that. This is, boy, I'm glad that these other people are here. They obviously need to hear it. But me, me, I'm all right. Here's 12 questions that you can ask yourself. And we're just going to put them right up. Um, and I want you to ask yourself these questions. First question. This is how you can identify. You go, I don't know what idols. I don't know what idols are in my life. Here's how you can identify them. Here's a question. Why am I so angry? Just ask yourself that question. Why am I so angry? Why am I so angry? Here's another question. Why am I so depressed? Why am I so depressed? Because here's what happens. When your idol starts getting messed with, you move towards despair. You know the reason you've ever wanted to kill yourself in your life? It's because your idols were poked at. Because your idols are the things that you really love. We say we love Jesus, but it's these idols that get, right? That got a hold of our hearts. Third question, why am I so worried? Why am I so, why am I so worried? Why am I so worried? Here's another question that you can ask yourself. What is my greatest nightmare? What do I worry about the most? If you can find out what your greatest nightmare is, that's the thing. Like, if, if my wife ever leaves me, I'll just want to die. I just want We just discovered one of your idols. If I have to grow old alone, I'll just die. Ah, listen, listen. Shh. We're discovering your idols. We're discovering something else that you need other than Jesus to be happy. And anything that you need other than Jesus to be happy is an idol. And it wants to ruin your life. And it wants you to sabotage yourself. Okay. What, if I failed or lost, would cause me to feel that I did not want to live? What, if I failed or lost, would cause me to feel that I didn't want to live? Or said another way, what keeps me going? Number seven. What, oh, I'm sorry, six. Thank you for counting for me. Um, what do I rely on to comfort myself when things go bad or get difficult? What do you rely on that are, that's not Jesus? What is it? It's just a cigarette. No, 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 it's not just a cigarette. We're talking about idols. It's just... I just bought a shirt. No, 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 you didn't just buy a shirt. You worshiped an idol. Yeah. It's just busying myself with the kids. You know, they need me. No, 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 you're not just busying yourself with the kids. You're worshiping an idol. <clears throat> Seven. What do I think most easily about? What does my mind go to when I'm free 
In other words, when I sit in silence, where does my mind run to? Where do my fantasies go? Pay attention to that. They're pointing to your idols. Make sense? Okay, let's keep going. What prayer, unanswered, would make me seriously think about turning away from God? What prayer, if God didn't answer this prayer, would make you go, Jesus, what good are you? Listen, we're trying to identify our idols. We're trying to identify those things that sabotage us. Nine, what makes me feel the most self-worth? What am I most proud of? What makes me feel the most self-worth? What am I most proud of? We're pointing towards your idols. Ten, what do I really want and expect out of life? What would really make me happy? What would really make me happy? Eleven. Write down what you think are your functional saviors. What are the functional saviors, the functional masters? I know you say Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but what functions as your Lord and Savior on a day-to-day basis? And then finally, what are the things that tend to be too important to you? Okay, listen to me. Jesus is calling us to identify and throw away our idols. Why? Because idols numb us to our desperate need for Jesus. Jesus is our Savior. And what does he save us from? A multitude of things, not least of which is our idols. In fact, Jesus did everything that we need to be freed from idols. You will never be able to do this on your own. You will never be able to free yourself on your own. Only Jesus can do this in you. So we come to the Lord's table because this is how Jesus freed us. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, at a meal that they were having, he said, he said to them, listen to me. You're in bondage to idols. You're in bondage to sin. There's no hope for you other than me. He says, this is my body. Broken. Listen to me. Your body doesn't have to be broken. His body was broken for you. You go, my mind is broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to me. His body was broken for you. Yeah, but my appetites are broken. I know. That's why we're talking about this thing about idols. His body was broken for your appetites. Yeah, but you don't understand. My, my hope in my future. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was broken for you. So he took the bread. And with the bread, he broke it and said, this is my body. Broken for you. Don't forget that. 
Don't forget that someone was broken for you so that you could be broken free from your idolatry. Don't forget that he laid down his life so that you could lay down your idols. Don't forget, this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take, eat. Jesus, we thank you for your incredible sacrifice. We know that all this talk of throwing away our idols is fool's talk if we don't see and savor you as our Lord, our Savior, our delight, our joy, our satisfaction. You're better than the approval of others. You're better than the pleasures and the comforts that we receive from other things. You're better. You're, we can trust that your ideas of what should happen are better than our ability to control. And we know, Lord, that your fame is much more important, infinitely more important than any recognition we could get. Remind us of this. Now, at the same dinner, Jesus took a drink and he shared it. Now, the reason that we gave it to you in these bags and not in those little cups is because those, that bread and that cup came from one bread and one uh, thing of juice. And the reason that we do it that way is because we always want to demonstrate that it's one body, one faith, one spirit. We are united in Christ. He took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Don't listen to me. You know how you kill your idols? You receive the one who was killed in your place, who laid down his life and shed his blood. Next week, we're going to learn about how he does that, but I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus. With that, drink and remember. Remember.